We are in part five of the unstoppable force. This is our look at the birth of the church. It's not necessarily a study through Acts as much as it is a study of the disciples, of the followers of Christ that came and were filled with the Holy Spirit and it birthed what we know as the church today. What an amazing thing. The last few days before Jesus was crucified, he had told his disciples in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to be honest, in, the, in, in, a, in a couple months it's going to warm up, I would love to do baptism for any of you that's never been baptized or maybe you've come back to Christ and you want to rededicate your life. And, and baptism is just saying, man, I'm dying to my old life and I'm being raised again into a new life. And that's, it signifies that commitment that we've made to God. It signifies that relationship that we have with Him. There's nothing magical about it. It's not how great it was or anything like that. It doesn't determine your spiritual walk. It is a symbol of your commitment to Christ, a symbol to you dying to your old self and being raised again. So Jesus told the disciples to go and make disciples. He didn't tell them to go build churches. He told them to go make disciples because we are the church. Then he told them to go in Acts chapter 1-8 to go into Jerusalem and wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. And then we saw over the last couple weeks, we talked about in Acts chapter 2, how the Holy Spirit was poured out and supernatural things happened. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke in other languages. They were able to do these mighty things. And in that one day, about 3,000 people came to know Christ. What an amazing story. And that's only the first two chapters of the book of Acts. God promised that He would give us power through the Holy Spirit so that we could take the gospel, so that we could tell people about Him wherever we go to empower us, to embolden us, every single one of us. If you are a believer in Jesus and you are a follower in Jesus, you are one, the church, you are two, or two, you have the Holy Spirit, and three, you're to go make disciples. That's our job. And we're going to talk a lot about discipleship over the next month. We're going to, we're going to kind of dig deep into it. And, and I think we're going to do that in a small group setting so that we can learn how to disciple in this new world that we live in, in this time where people aren't looking for Jesus. We have to go and find them and build relationships and disciple them. So that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this birth of the church. We're going to wrap up Acts chapter 2 today. And we're going to, so you can flip over with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I know we kind of touched briefly at the end of the message last week about this, but I want to dig into this because this is actually the church has been born, and we're going to look at what the church did and how it functioned right out of the gate, right after it was born. So I want to look at that. I want you to think about something for just a minute, and you can put it in the chat if you want to, but there are some characteristics that we see in Acts chapter 2 in these verses that are the character or the pillars, I'm going to call them, of the church, basically what the church functions in. If you could think of the characteristics of what makes a church a church, and I know that sounds kind of funny to say, what are the characteristics of a church? What are, and, now, and I'm going to put this out this way. 
What are the characteristics of a group of believers coming together in the in what we call a church, like we are, Kennesaw Family Life Church, where a group of believers in this area, they come together for a common purpose. What is the characteristics of the church? What should the church look like? Go ahead and take a minute and type some of those things in the chat. Now, obviously, I'm recording this ahead of time, so I'm not going to see those now, but I want to see them later. But have some discussion between yourselves and with the host on what characteristics of the church are. What defines the church? What should it look like? Think about that for just a minute. The characteristics of a church, and I want to dig a little deeper into this. The characteristics of the church can be found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I want to read that really quick. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all, them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while pleasing God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Those that were being saved. So we're going to take just a few minutes this morning and look at the key elements or the pillars of what made the early church what it was. What were the things that they focused on? What made them? Remember, they are the church. They are the disciples. They are the ones that are fulfilling the commandment that Jesus said to go and tell others, go and make disciples. That's our job. Our job isn't to build buildings, although buildings are good. We need buildings. I'm thankful for the building we meet in. This isn't about that the church structure needs to go away. It's about rethinking about what's important. Rethinking about what really makes us followers of Christ and grows the church and what defines the church. So these pillars of the early church, the first thing that I want to look at is they were devoted to the Word of God. And these pillars are found in verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now you got to remember, they didn't have the New Testament. Some of these apostles wrote the New Testament. They were the ones that gave us that doctrine. And then later, Paul, in the book of Acts, we'll look at his life a little bit. But Paul came along and he wrote a lot of the New Testament. But they had the Old Testament and they had the words that they learned from Jesus. And they taught out of what they learned. And through the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through them, they taught the early church. They were devoted to the Word of God. They were devoted. They devoted themselves. They were there all the time. I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. It says, But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know that Bible that you have on your phone or that physical Bible that you hold in your hand? 
That is God's word spoken from him to us. It's kind of like our owner's manual. If you think about every element of our lives, we can find answers in God's word. It's powerful. It's the very word that God spoke into our lives. Can I ask you something? Now, we've been in a 21-day fast. We've asked a lot of you to join with us in a version Bible reading plan, specifically for the fast. How often do you study the Word of God? How often do you bring it into your life? This passage out of Matthew that I, that I read to you, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. No food or water. 40 days, 40 nights. I couldn't do that. I mean, I'm sure I could if I trained my body. I've known others to do it and to be strengthened from God, but that's not one I've ever done. It would have to be the Holy Spirit speaking to me for me to do that 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan, this is the tempting that Jesus had before he went out and did public ministry. Satan came to him and said, hey, you know what? You could call the angels and they would feed you. Satan was tempting him. And Jesus told him, look, People don't live by bread alone, but by, the very, by every word that comes from God's mouth. That's actually a quote out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Word of God is our life. It's what He gives us to learn and to grow about the character of God. It's essential that we read and study and know the Word of God. Have you ever seen somebody that doesn't have enough food? Maybe... Maybe you don't see them as much. I don't, I don't watch normal TV now, so I don't see a lot of commercials. But maybe you've seen those commercials where about feeding the hungry and they show these kids in Africa or India or somewhere that, that are really emaciated. They haven't had enough nutrition. You can see every rib and, and they're just really weak. If you've ever seen somebody that doesn't have enough food, they don't look healthy. They're very weak and they can't think very clearly. I don't know if you've ever had a time where you were just like super hungry and your mind is clouded and you just don't think. Fasting's a little bit different. God strengthens us in fasting. But if you see somebody that's just totally weakened because of hunger, they're, they're not healthy. They're weak. They can be overtaken easily. They don't have any strength. They don't think very clearly. It's kind of the way it is for us as believers when we don't read Scripture when we don't study Scripture, when we don't know what Scripture says, the, the, the Bible tells us that we're to feed on it. That it's like, a, it's like a bread, it's like a food, and it's what strengthens us. It's what makes us healthy as believers because we're pouring the very Word of God into our lives. It makes us healthy. It strengthens our walk. So when the enemy tries to attack us, we have the Word of God to defend ourselves with. And we're able to think clearly. We're able to make good decisions. So a lot of times we have trouble making decisions. We have trouble thinking clearly or making good decisions 
because we don't have the Word of God in our hearts. We don't have the Word to test things against. We just go by the thoughts that are in our mind and we can be easily deceived and we can easily not think clearly and the enemy can come in and twist those things and what may seem right will be actually contradictory to what God's saying. That's why we have to feed on the Word of God and know it. That is one of the biggest priorities. They devoted themselves, the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They came together. When we come together on Sunday, whether it's me doing this or whether it's somebody else that's speaking from this pulpit, it's a word of God from the Holy Spirit for you. It's to edify you, to challenge you, maybe even to make you uncomfortable to get out of where you're at to get to where God wants you to be. I believe that each one of us is the, the body of Christ and that God can use each of our lives to change this culture, to change this world. Now, directly what we do right here probably won't change things all over the world, but I'm going to tell you that if we can change the culture and climate of what's around us, that begins to grow and change the world around us. That's all Jesus has called us to do. Remember, thermostats, not thermometers. Thermostats, not thermometers. The Word of God gives us direction for our lives. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. We're to be guided by the Word of God. And then 2 Timothy, one of my favorite passages, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our own lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now yes, it shows us things that, are, that we need to correct in our lives, but not to belittle us, but to equip us so that we can make the right choices, so that we can move in the right direction, so that we can be the voice that God's called us to be. How can we explain to other people what the Word of God says if we don't know it? How can we make good, solid decisions that are based on biblical principles if we don't know the Word of God? It's essential. Essential that we know the Word of God. And I've known believers that have been believers for decades and yet have never read through the entire Scripture. I want to challenge you, if you've never read through the Bible, don't just open it up and start in Genesis and try to read to Revelation. You won't make it. Well, I, I shouldn't say you won't make it. 99% of the people don't. And really, reading the Old Testament, unless you have a good foundation, reading the Old Testament before you read the New Testament will be very confusing. It just will be. It will be. There's a lot of history in there. There's a lot of things that just won't make a lot of sense without the revelation of the New Testament and the understanding of God's character through the New Testament. And if you have questions about it, ask. Ask one of our, our um, hosts that are on there right now. 
and we will do our best to help explain some things. So the first pillar is the Word of God. We cannot survive without the Word of God as disciples. We don't want to be weak, emaciated Christians. We want to be good, solid disciples. The second pillar is they, devoted, they were devoted to each other. They were devoted to each other. I think that's the biggest challenge in this pandemic is because some of you that are sitting in your homes have had a difficult time connecting with other people. That's why that chat is so important. That's why we do the 430 prayers. And prayer is an important part. We're going to talk about prayer in just a minute. But also it helps build community. We're going to start a small group next week. It's going to help build community. And we want you to be involved in as much as you can. If you're at the, involved at the women's small group or even the Wednesday morning with the guys at Honeysuckle Bakery, it's about building community and getting to know each other. They devoted themselves to each other through the common bond of their relationship with Jesus. They looked after and cared for each other. Now, I'm going to say this. You're not going to like everybody in the church. And not everybody in the church is going to like you. Now, we're a fairly small church and we all get along pretty well, but that's just human nature. We connect better with some people than we do others. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. However, we are to love and care for each other. And that's been one of the most beautiful things about this past year is to see when there are needs that needed to be taken care of that they that people stepped up and did this. Now I want to look again at verses 44 through 46 and look at this for a second. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. That's what church is supposed to look like. That we're supposed to care for each other. To help those that are around us that are in need. We're not to be ATMs to give people to people that are using things unwisely. Then we're supposed to help them learn how to budget money and use it correctly. we're supposed to be there for each other. This is one of the most difficult things our culture struggles with because we're taught. I know for me as a kid, man, and growing up and even in college, it was all about individualism. It was all about you take care of you. You don't worry about anybody else. You have it your way. I mean, that was Burger King's slogan forever. Have it your way right away. It was all about you, 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 or me, 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 me. And our culture has taught us to isolate. Our culture has taught us to go and get whatever we want because that's the most important thing. Now, I will say this. There's a flip to that struggle. And for those that are maybe in their late teens and 20s and 30s, they got kind of frustrated with that selfish mentality. And now they're starting to think more how collectively in a way, but here's the thing. They struggle because they want to see, they want to see people that are helped, the social justice. They want to see 
those that are being marginalized, cared for. They wanna help those that are in need, but yet they still struggle because they want their technologies and the trappings of the world that's around them and there's this tension in their lives because yes, they wanna help others, but they don't wanna sacrifice their own stuff. And there's this tension that's going on. And so what's happened is they've been drawn to socialism. They've been drawn to the, the idea that if the government would just care for everybody's needs, it would be fine. And I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to go down that road. But that's the mental mindset that is there. But I want to tell you, and the only reason I bring this is because I don't believe that the government, as great as socialism sounds on the surface, that everybody's needs would be taken care of. As great as that sounds on the surface, history's proven that it just doesn't work. But... I believe that if the church would do its job well, like it was meant to, if you go back into the Old Testament, look at how it functioned. The church supplied for the needs of the people. The church, through the tithes and offering, and again, there was, back then it was like a 30% tithe because there was a tithe, the 10% for the temple and the worship of God, and then there was 10% for the widows and orphans. There was 10% to help the poor and needy. There was ties, almost like a tax in that way, that the church was there to care for people. Here's the reason why the government struggles at it, because they're disconnected. They make rules and laws and things, but they're not connected to people, and there's a lot of stuff there. But the church, our job is people. Again, this isn't about politics. I am not concerned about how you voted. I'm not concerned about where you stand on those things at this moment. What I'm concerned about is the early church dedicated themselves to each other and caring for each other's needs. That's the primary thing here. They cared one for another. James 1.27 says this, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. We are called to care for those that are in need. That's why we do the food pantry. That's why we care for those that can't care for themselves. I wish we had the resources to do even more. It starts within our own body. I mentioned earlier that I've been super proud of our church because there are some people that aren't able to get to the store to pick up prescriptions or to, to get other things. And, and the church has stepped up and have cared for the needs. We have somebody that's a shut-in that wanted a computer to, to be able to do some things, didn't have a computer, living in a nursing home, very isolated, really pretty much in their bed and TV. That's all they had. And I put the word out to people in our church, and I had more than one person say that, hey, yeah, I probably have a computer for them, and we were able to get them a computer. That's caring for each other. That's meeting needs, delivering groceries when there's a need. coming over and helping at their homes and, and making sure that they're cared for. And during this pandemic, has been really important 
the beauty of that 4.30 prayer time is that those that get on there regularly have built relationship together. And we care for one another. It's a pillar of the church. Jesus said this in John 13, 34 and 35. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Did you get this? So first, it starts with love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And here's what it does. It shows the world that we are his disciples. Because if we love each other well, if we treat each other well, if we care for one another's needs, the people that are watching us, the people that are around us, the people that we are discipling already, but maybe they haven't come to Christ, but we're showing them who Christ is, they're going to see that we care for each other. They're going to see that our needs get met. And they're going to want that. They're going to want that kind of community. That is the beauty of the gospel. We are to love one another. Our love for others shows how much we love Jesus. It's at the very basis of this. Unfortunately, we are known more for what we are against or for our politics than we are about how we love each other and love the world. Christianity is taking a beating in our culture. And a lot of it is our own fault because we haven't loved each other well. We've focused on the wrong things. We've focused on growing our empires and our own church buildings rather than on loving people and caring for one another, fighting over pointless things. And the world looked at us and said, well, why are we any different? Mark Batterson says this. He says this about his church, and he pastors National Community Church there in Washington, D.C., and he says, we want to be known more for what we are for than for what we are against. Now think about that for a minute. Would you rather be known for what you are for what you're about, what you're celebrating, rather than what you're against. But so often, through our own legalism, we've put people down and made them feel like they're less than human because they don't believe or act the way we do. You have to remember, until somebody comes to know Christ, they're not under that law. They're not they, they, they're still, they're trying to figure this out. They don't realize their sin. It's not our job to point out their sin. It's our job to love them and to introduce them to Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. We show that by the way we love each other. It starts there. Then we can love others. So the first pillar it's the Word of God. The second pillar is prayer. 
or not prayer, jumped ahead of myself. That's the third pillar. Second pillar is to love each other. Third pillar is prayer. They devoted to prayer. Again, these are all in that first verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to each other, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is our communication with God. It's how we truly, personally connect to Him. When we pray, we're talking to God. And if we sit and listen, it's communication. He'll speak to us. Maybe not audibly, but He'll put it into our spirit. He'll speak through the Word of God that we're reading. He'll speak through the friends that we have, through the message that you receive on a Sunday. He will speak to us. And we are prayer. Prayer is our communication. Not only do we pray privately, but we also pray corporately. We pray together. We, the believers were unified in prayer when God poured out the Holy Spirit. They came together and they prayed together. That's why we do it at 4.30. That's why we pray every service, because when we come together in prayer, there's power. Look at James 5, 16-18. It says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. When we come together and pray for each other, there is power. When we're genuine in our prayer, there is power behind that. God moves with our prayer. I don't know the dynamic of how it all works. I'm going to tell you, you could pray that the rain would stop, but if it's not in the will of God, it's not going to stop. But if you are in constant communication with God, if you are connected with Him, and you feel that prompting in your spirit to pray that the rain will stop, I guarantee you God will stop that rain. When we're in constant communication with Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will show us how to pray. He'll show us what to pray for. There is power when we are unified in prayer. There have been people that we've been praying for on our 430 prayer time that have been healed. We see it happen. There are tons of testimonies of people that are being healed. Now, it may not be because we directly laid hands on them and they rose and walked, and, but we are praying and we believe that we're, our prayers are a part of their healing. People that have been healed of cancer. And what a powerful testimony. We come together and we pray together. It builds community. It builds a bond. It's a part of our common purpose so when we gather together, we want to pray over those needs. We want to pray for those that are hurting. We agree together in prayer. It's powerful. That's something that's a foundational pillar. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Ephesians, he says it in many of his writings, but Ephesians 6.18 says it, I think, the best. It says, pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. If you read different versions, it'll say praying without ceasing. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayer for all believers everywhere. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Does that mean we walk around just blindly praying? 
Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little something with you. You can pray with your eyes open, and it's okay. You know how we close our eyes? It started years ago. I don't know exactly when it started, but it was to eliminate distraction. But really, prayer can be done with our eyes wide open. Some of you have been on prayer calls, and I've been in the car driving while praying. I can do that because I don't have to close my eyes to communicate with God. There's nothing sacred or magical about that. And to be in this attitude of prayer, it means that we're so connected to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we're spending our lives in prayer so much that at any given moment we could hear from God and at any given moment we could speak to God in prayer. We could be walking down the sidewalk and see somebody that's hurting or see an ambulance go by or whatever, and we could immediately step right in and pray for that person. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. Again, prayer is communication with God, so that means not only are we communicating with Him, but He's communicating with us. To be open to what God's speaking to us. We are to be in a constant place of prayer. When we can get to that place, God can do amazing things through us. So I want to wrap it up with this. The church needs all three of these pillars. Kind of picture a three-legged stool. You couldn't, if you took one of those legs away, the stool's going to fall over. The church has to have the Word of God. It's essential. It's essential. You need to be in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. Hopefully we are that for you. We've been preaching through books of the Bible. We feel like we're pretty, pretty good with that. We know we don't get everything right. We are a Bible-believing. We're going to preach the Word of God, even when it's hard. We need each other. Hebrews 25, or 10.25 tells us to not to neglect meeting together. Now, I know some of you can't come out physically in person right now. Maybe it's because you're sick, or maybe it's because you have a health issue that if you got sick could be pretty bad. That's why the chat and Zoom and text and phone calls are so important because we need each other. Nobody goes through this life on their own. And the final pillar is prayer. And pray for each other. Pray together as often as we can. Pray over me. I need it desperately. Pray over our family. Pray over your neighbors. The church needs all three of these pillars. We have to be devoted to them. Here's the results. Look at verse 47 for just a second out of Acts chapter 2. It says, And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. The people around them could see it was electric they saw them loving one another. They saw them caring for one another. They saw them being healed. They saw their lives being changed, and they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to have what they saw. 
and they were drawn to it. When the church is functioning with all three of these pillars and the love of God is being seen in them and flowing through them, it will draw others to Christ. I want to challenge you. Be a disciple maker. You don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to be the greatest communicator. You don't have to know everything perfectly. You just have to live out to the best of your ability your relationship with God. You have to daily work on it. You have to pray. You have to read the Word of God. You have to stay consistent with church and be connected to church. That's other believers because we are the church. And we will see people's lives changed. God is leading us to disciple others. It's our job. It's our commandment. We're going to spend some time over these next few weeks talking about how to do that. How to love people. It's really, really simple. A lot more simple than you would think. I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's simple. We want to see heaven filled with those that have been lost. And I want to challenge you. I want to see our fellowship grow. And it'd be amazing to have new people added every day, not so that we could have a big, large church, but just because we want to see heaven filled. So I want to challenge you. Get to know the Word of God. If we don't have your phone number, make sure that we have your phone number. I'm going to start doing something, at least on weekdays, probably not every day. But I want to send out a text with a scripture that I want us to start memorizing. I'm going to send you the same scripture every day. Just so it gets ingrained in your head. We need to start learning scripture and hiding it in our hearts. And attached with that, there'll be a short prayer. I've been doing prayer at 7.30 in the mornings, most mornings, not every morning, through the prayer and fasting. So we need to pray together. Join the 4.30 prayer time. Alan and Jane Kunkel lead that. I'm on there most days, not every day, but I'm on there most days. Join that prayer time. Pray together. If you haven't been on there in a while, jump back on. We miss you. And let's care for each other. Let's show our community that we love Jesus and that we love each other and that we love them. Can we do that together? Let's be the church. Let's do the things the early church did. And I believe if we do those things, we'll see lives changed. And I promise you that when you see somebody that you've been praying for come to a relationship with God, it's going to change you. It's going to change your life. Let's celebrate that together. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would make us disciple makers. Lord, you commanded us to make disciples. Pray that you would strengthen us and embolden us 
that we would come together as a body, as a group of believers. And that we would change the climate of the world around us. That we would see lives touched and changed. That, Father, you would give us opportunities to build relationships. That you give us opportunities to make new friends, to be able to pour into people's lives. Maybe it's reconnecting with somebody we haven't talked to in a long time. Maybe it's just simply living out our faith with the world that's around us. Lord, you equipped us each differently. And I pray right now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that lives would be touched and changed today. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody with us today that doesn't have a relationship with you, that Lord, right now, they would surrender their lives to you just ask for you to enter into their lives. Ask you to forgive them of their sins. And Lord, you would fill them with your Holy Spirit right now. We thank you for what you're going to do in us today. We ask that you would go before us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Have a great week.